Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay, then, look, I talk a lot about the important role purpose can play in creating more engaged people at work. I make no secret of my love for this topic because I've seen its powerful effect for real. And I'll tell you, it's addictive in a good way. It grows connection, helps people feel more self-worth and makes people think bigger. And I I think it's going to play a bigger role going forward as I hope we continue to see a stronger reemergence of of humanity in the workplace, powering teams to greater achievements. But what is the future of the workplace and how will teams evolve and help businesses change for the better? Well, today I'm joined by Perry Timms. He's the founder and chief energy officer, just love that title, of People and Transformational HR. And they've got over 30 years experience in people, learning, technology, organizational change and transformation. And his personal mission is to see more people flourish through their work and help shift organizations as a force for societal good, not just being profit machines. And his business mission is simply defined as better business for a better world. And it's also worth noting that at the time of recording, Perry and the team have just achieved certified B Corporation status, which if you know anything about that, is an amazing achievement. I'm sure we'll touch on that as we go through. But if that wasn't enough, he's a global and TEDx speaker, advisor, conference chair on the future of work and HR, and a member of the Be The Ripple movement to help promote kindness and eradicate bullying in the workplace. So who better, who better indeed to speak to about the future of teamwork and how we power ourselves onto a different way of working than Perry. And I'm sure he's going to blow my mind at some point as well in this conversation. So welcome to the show, Perry. Lovely to have you here. What an intro. (laughs) Andy, thanks so much for that. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's nice to hear it read back because you sort of remind yourself of, uh, you know, when you get out of bed, what sparks your life into action. Uh, And and it's nice to get a tingle uh, from that. So thank you. Well, it's I mean, that B-Core thing is an amazing thing. I'm, I'm, I've only ever read about B-Core. I've never met anybody in the flesh who's there. So congratulations. Thank you. Um, let's put it this way. I've been like you, an admirer of that concept for a long, long time. Um, uh, and so when the team got a bit bigger and we had the chance to think about going for it, we thought, well, you never know. But we didn't really anticipate we would qualify. And then we looked at the criteria and thought, my goodness me, there's a lot to get your head around and and prove. So what it did is it gave us two opportunities. One was to prove what we already were standing for and doing uh, was the right stuff. 
And then all the other things that we had perhaps not quite thought of in the same way gave us a chance to think about them and really put them into play. So if anybody sort of says, ah, oh, you know, these accreditations are just given away like toffee, absolutely not this one. You, you know, it was a really, really deep and philosophical look at who we are and what we do. And the evidence they were after, you know, we had to really think about what we do, how we document things. But in the end, we got a decent score. Uh, and we are absolutely over the moon about this because it just symbolizes everything we believe in. I was just going to say, what does it feel like to have gone through that process and to come out the other side successful? I, I think it's the sort of thing where you you just hope that what you do is is right in, in the eyes of uh, what I can only describe as a, a very objective and searching and revealing set of criteria. I mean, their attention to environment, community, social, um, uh, really tests whether you're in that or whether you're just dabbling or just aspiring. And so admittedly, some of the things we probably were dabbling, but it gave us a sense of fortitude to go, but actually we we do mean this. So we leaned in to some of the things that we thought we might be a bit lighter on. So to come out of it the other end after the scrutiny of the analysts with that result was just like, oh, wow, it just meant so much because, yeah, we we, we believed in it so much and we we doubted it at times. And then we came through it and it was like, yeah, just blissful. Brilliant. That's great. Well, you are you are here today, my friend, because your good mate, Chris Bezik, said you were the guy to talk to about employee engagement, future workforce and all the rest of it. So, so here we are. Mm. So what are the sort of things that, before we get into the topic itself, what are the sort of things that yeah. you're dealing with today as we've had a, yeah. a, a weird 18 months, we've just coming out of furlough yeah. today and what have you. So, so what, what's, yeah. what's going on? So I think the title of the company, PTHR, and, and deliberately having people and transformational gives you a clue because we, we stand for helping people transform from a state of mediocrity or even toxicity to something where it absolutely is the workplace that people go. It's an extension of me. It's my whole reason for being in, in the work that I do. And so some people kind of go, yeah, but isn't that just for, you know, tech unicorns and the likes? Absolutely not. So, you know, our client base varies from charities through to healthcare organizations and to some blue chips and a few aspiring. Um, uh, but within it, whatever the product and the service that they're offering is, there are a lot of people there mm. who to them, their work is really important to them. And if there's interference in that or some form of blockage or, or impairment, um, we want to remove that. We want to remove that so that people go, this is what I thought I'd signed up to and now I'm getting to do it. And I'll give you a tiny example of that. We did some work in the local authority up in the Northwest. And it's a challenging part of the world, really, because it's a mixture of tech investment and very historical former industrial might no longer there. Mm. So you've got age differences, you've got different demographics of that nature and, and race and religion and uh, social standing. And so they've got some really hard circles to square there and they were desperately trying to engage their citizens more on digital services so they heard about the work we do to enable more people to play a part in creating those kinds of things got us in we work with a core of about 100 
people and then we walked away after about eight weeks of working with them not solidly but you know um, periodically and then a few months later they launched so many really useful digital services they became digital council of the year wow and they've totally changed how they operate they are a really responsive i mean they out agile spotify in many respects <laughs> they are so good yeah exactly and this is a local authority in the northwest Amazing. that people would never think and so to be a part of that is something where where we go that's what we mean by transformation they'll never be the same again yeah. and how much did that that common goal that kind of purpose understanding play a role in making that transformation perry all of it all yeah. of it so actually we came into what i would call a very well articulated position on what they wanted to be but their ability to be like that was was just not quite there yet they just hadn't got the ducks in the row thing and and perhaps got rid of some of the bureaucracy that you would associate with a local authority so so we wanted to respect the things that got them there but we also wanted to undo some of the self-damage if you want to call it that that they yeah, didn't yeah. even perhaps even notice or realize so we introduced swifter systems we changed some mindsets we broke a few rules really on who normally gets engaged in those kind of projects and, and i had one person who said to me in my 23 years of working in this organization because she'd been there a long time she said i have not felt so much fulfillment as i had in the time i spent doing the things i've been doing the last few months that's the stuff that sets the hairs on the back of your oh, neck going i couldn't because agree it, more it laser precision aligned to the things they declared they wanted to be and she was a manifestation of what it was yeah i, I think that's one of the i guess not so secret issues that we see in businesses today is maybe not intentional but a lack of involvement of people all the way through the organization in creating what you're going to be and understanding mm. how you play your role in it. And I think that's just yeah. so sad. It's so sad. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, and I don't even think it's necessarily willful or deliberate. It's no. just neglectful in yeah. many ways. Uh, and yet you and I know that when that, that sort of genome is switched, people are doing incredible feats of outperformance because of that. So, I mean, there is this sort of tension, isn't there, at the moment around purpose-led organisations where some clever organisations have cottoned onto this and are conflating and exaggerating uh, the nature of what they do to draw people in on that basis, only to then find they're disappointed when they don't live that virtue. And, and that's, that's sad too. I, I, I totally agree with that. I think that whole say do gap can be so mm. toxic and, yeah. and and a real kind of soul destroyer because yeah if you've brought someone in on the basis of a purpose that they really connect to then all of a sudden no nah, yeah. that's not really what we're going to be doing no. thank you it's a marketing thing that's that's disastrous yeah. it's kind of fraud isn't it yeah absolute fraud great word for it mm. and i think we've seen we've seen good and bad right over the last 18 months but yeah one thing we've definitely seen over the last 18 months is this fragmentation of teams mm. as we as we've gone gone forward i mean literally mm. speaking to a guy i used to work with only this afternoon and he hasn't been in the office for 18 months and the office doesn't even exist anymore they were kicked out right. <laughs> and so teams that now were on top of each other all the time are now not together working practices have changed locations changed there's been lots of problems for businesses some businesses have really struggled with this others Others have flourished, Perry, right? Mm -mm. And and so what, what have you seen in the work that you do in, in this particular area? What what's what's mm. working? What are the common threads? Yeah. Uh, so I think 
uh, we've got a client right now who took the decision during the pandemic to again absolve themselves of their premises because it made no sense they they could see the pandemic was potentially quite a long tail but equally i think they used this opportunity to go do you know what we can do this flexible stuff and they they were obviously attentive to things like culture and togetherness hmm. and so they were very deliberate about it and said look this is what we're going to do and we will work with you to make sure that all the things that you probably thought you'd go you were going to lose we will try and create something that compensates for that uh, and so we joined them after they've made that decision mm. and what that had realized is that all the things that they needed to pay attention to were nothing to do with working in proximity to other people that was almost a charade it was operational efficiency it was clarity of uh, you know aspirational goals it was projects that were stalling because there wasn't enough effort in the right place and way yeah. so we're now working with them to sort of re-engineer their systems and of course they're all 100 virtual so i just got off a call with somebody who has stepped in to run an agile project with absolutely no training at all in how to run an agile project and so you know i, I started the call by admiring her bravery for doing so but equally what she described to me was it was all about our intent being right, but the process is not lining it up. And she said, and I can see this lines it up. So she said, I'm going with it and we're emerging into it. She said, and our first sprint finishes this week. And she just wanted a bit of advice about how to get the best out of that 30 minute review. Uh, and it's just incredible that we've removed some of the orthodoxies and myths and we've broken away from those and said it wasn't about what we thought it was because now we've revealed what it really was and we can solve those problems. Now, transversely, there's an organisation that does seem to like to bring its people together and people seem to like to come together. So they wanted to um, get that back in. So mm. they said, OK, up top, we've decided Monday, Friday, work from home, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, come into the office. And they declared that to the people. Uh, and then they opened up some chat on it, which was at least good of them to do that. And the responses back from people were, what do you want us to do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday then? And the responses came back again saying, well, maybe that's when you do things like your meetings and stuff. And then the response to that from a lot of people was, no. We'll do that on Monday and Friday. If we're coming in, we want to be social, collaborative, creative, all those things. And actually, they backtracked and said, OK, tell us what you think the rhythm is. And they came up with it and they and they adjusted it. So they're a bit clumsy. And I can see a lot of that. People thinking we get certainty by making a decision. And some people go, that's that's just a decision without the parameters that should be there. And I think I'm seeing a lot more rejection of those blanket easy solutions if you want to call them that um but also they they don't want to go into complex uncertainty so they're saying well we'll help you decide then so maybe there's a bit more employee activism coming through from this but that's the sort of thing i'm thinking i'm seeing either really really well thought through application of this or clumsy misfiring stuff um not mentioning any names but you know canary wharf organizations spring to mind yeah i i think i think that's true i it's I wonder whether this 18 months has given people some real time to contemplate things on a different level. So not just do I want to be in this business? Uh, is there a better place to go? But, but how do I, how do I best perform in yeah. the business? Yeah. What's, what's, what's been the best for me? How am I, how am, I'm yeah. working really well at 4am uh, and yeah. I'm getting loads yeah. done in two hours that I would, it yeah. would be your day. How can I make that work at work? You know, <laughs> exactly that. 
exactly that. Again, on a call um, yesterday, well, it was a conference, uh, so it was that kind of thing. And somebody said that's exactly what people have started to realise. Their cadence wasn't what was given to them, so they've hacked it and created their own. And then when people say go back to that, they're like, no, no, I've discovered what really works for me. Yeah. And what really works for me is often what works for my colleagues and my customers. And so it's not just an isolated uh, indulgence on me. People have been very considerate from what I can tell about the implications on supply chain, on colleagues who don't have the choice and have to turn up. Mm. I've seen overtures towards and stronger connections being made deliberately because they know those people have no choice. Now that's brought people closer together. Not everybody, but there've been some terrific examples. No, I I, I think that's true. I, I minded to ask you because I've, I've mm. I've seen you sort of talk about this before, or at least mention it before. In that, this thing about transient teams and how they could potentially swarm together doing stuff to create this anti-fragile organization, right? Yep. I mean, that sounds like the sort of stuff that would blow my mind. But what do you mean by these the swarming yeah. of transient teams? Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like the sort of thing that would be on a TED talk and everybody go, oh, that's interesting, and just carry on regardless. <laughs> yeah, because it's word confetti. I yeah. mean, that's what it is, right? But but what we're trying to do is just summarise a concept that's different to depart people's thinking from traditional approaches. And I guess so to unpack that, what I mean is we deliberately created our systems in the understanding that work came to us in these nice little finite packages and we matched the resource and the process to that to achieve an outcome yeah now if there's one thing i know about the world now increasingly it's it's more unlikely that that will ever happen, let alone regularly happen. Because queries are complex. Individuals know they've got choice and can take social media and decry customer service. Whatever it is that's forced this into being, it is not that simple now. So how do you simplify it? Well, you you go to where the work is rather than the work comes to you. That's the metaphorical um, representation of that. Now, there is an example um, in the world of banking, actually. Okay. ING, ING Bank in Canada was subject to a management buy and it became Tangerine Bank. And Steve Aceto, who was the, the CEO there, was very much into, we don't have jobs, we all work for Tangerine Bank, we just happen to have a little frame around it. But there are things we need to do sometimes where we forget that and we just do what's needed. So there was talk of a product launch where literally the FD stopped doing FD work and talked to the phones to answer queries about a product launch. Now, where where on earth would that have happened uh, prior to that new kind of thinking? Uh, what it did was incredible. It brought people so much closer together because they saw it in action. Mm that they were outperforming competitors on deposits, on on like dollars per head performance. Um, And it was such that that bank's reputation was, these are people who care because they don't care about their job description. They care about the outcome and the purpose. Right. Uh, And and so, yeah, that's what I mean by the swarm and huddle thing. And I I genuinely think, because I've just done some research on research, ironically, um, thought leadership, (laughs) white papers, whatever. Yeah. I I mashed together about 40 (laughs) things out there from Gartner, McKinsey and everybody to try and find the one truth that sat within that. And there was one truth that did keep coming through. And I was kind of pleased it did, which was we've got to stop convincing ourselves we can engineer everything and we have to think about clever deployment of talent 
to problems. That's sort of the summary of it. And that's what I mean by that. So I used it in a discussion yesterday with a very complex organization, actually, with their global sort of heads of HR from different countries and, and functions. And they totally agreed. I have this concept that the job really doesn't exist anymore, apart from in our imagination and recruitment drives, because everything's a project and everything's a project needs different ways to assemble a team to do do that project and then disassemble and move on to the next thing. That's so interesting. line stuff, yeah, it doesn't really count. Yeah. That is so interesting because a lot of, well, I don't know. This, is, this isn't real. This is my own experience, I guess. But my, my take on Agile has always been on IT projects, right? It's always been yeah. about IT projects. But, mm. but then mm. if you think about it, like you've just said, pretty much everything I've looked back now and that I ended up doing in my career was a series of connected projects. <laughs> yeah. P- pretty much. Yeah that yeah. got divvied out to departments who had ownership. Exactly, exactly that. And really, this is about mm. individuals having ownership. And I, think, I don't know whether this is, is going on in banking or not, because I read a, um, an example mm. the other day about transient teams. I think it was Deutsche Bank, and okay. the MD of Deutsche Bank was, was talking about involvement, and mm-hmm. I guess an old Shingoism of best ideas come from the workers. Mm-hmm. And he um, he was talking about his communities of practice e discussion forum that he had yeah uh, where everybody yeah. across the business had an opportunity to on a whole range of topics they could contribute yeah. you know really feel involved yeah. and i think he called it thinking out loud which i, I quite liked as yeah. a concept um yeah but, but maybe banks i don't know maybe if in the past have they been very very siloed and closed and now they're sort of opening up the gates or are they had a lot of it interaction therefore this stuff has kind of moved in by osmosis i don't i don't know what should take so I'm glad you mentioned Deutsche Bank because okay. they are famous and synonymous through John Stepper's work on working out loud, exactly that. Right. And, and that was a buck against the trend big time in that industry because it was all about secrets and, and very um, discreet things happening that suddenly became known. But I think Stepper's work actually said, you know, we're a hive mind here. Uh, let's make that happen. So, yeah, and, and and I think, you know, Don Tapscott, who's a great kind of thought leader, who's now really hot on things like cryptocurrency and stuff, he said, you know, the key thing in the 21st century knowledge era is collective intelligence. Right. And that's what that stuff does, right? So I think, you know, it isn't just in the banking world, but I think even the banking world has got much more product-oriented, has got much more platform-based, is thinking about additionality of service is thinking about experience for people so i think they've become much more consumerized but also very service proposition led not just we're big so therefore we're okay because big doesn't always work and you know you look at look back at the northern rock debacle back in the day and Mm. all that right so there are examples where this stuff it's not too big to fail at all royal bank of scotland in public ownership etc but they learned so much royal bank of scotland and and you wouldn't recognize that place now compared to apparently how it was so there's some really really interesting shifts in that world which you would say are the mad men of the day you know Uh, so we're seeing starling monzo blah blah you know they're all really shifting the dynamic and fintech and and uh, biotech are two huge industries in silicon valley attracting investment because moving money and keeping people healthy is kind of the big ticket stuff i suppose yeah so i think they've had to adapt uh, whether that started with things like the paypal mafia and, and and almost glamorizing the financial side of things maybe um but but it's so different now 
It's, yeah. it's interesting, isn't it? I think this is what then, mm. why you need, if you're going to disperse stuff through through project ownership, right? And we may yeah. get, we'll probably talk about self-managing teams and what have you in a sec, but this to me yeah. is why yeah. you need those other constructs of really clear purpose, yeah. really clear common goals. And for, yeah. you know, my old history, a very strong brand proposition because you've got lots of people working on projects. You need that backbone to kind of pull you back in, like that, that anchor point, right? Amen. Amen. And um, so let's 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 then think about this. If it's not departments, it's people, and we're talking about this empowerment, yeah. if you like, to have self-managed teams. I think productivity constantly comes up in, yeah. in the sort of work that you do, the sort of work that I talk about with it, with engagement. And yet we've busted a ton of myths right over the last 18 months about how people working autonomously is a bad thing. We must spy on them. We must control yeah. them. Yeah. Right. So, mm. so how is the world mm. of self-managed teams moving from what you, from what you see? Mm. So, so if I loop back, start off with about your um, marketing proposition yeah, and yeah. so on and so forth, that that whole audience of one thing has, has kind of come into the the work market too, because I think if we take a particular sort of caliber of person who's got a demonstrable understanding of the work they're doing and where they want to go with it and so on and so forth so you know they've, they've made some conscious decisions and what have you they are thinking of themselves as an audience of one mm. and they are saying what, what's this about for me but but often that's a projection then into but what can I contribute and this is where it's perhaps a healthy um, projection that's bigger than me because if I'm belonging to something bigger than me, there is a trail of psychology research that says that's when you'll get like fulfillment and happiness at work. Because it's not about stroking your ego, it's you belonging to something that makes a difference. And if you talk to anybody about what they like most about their work, they'll often say, making a difference. There you go. It's quite ethereal, right? But that's so this audience of one making a difference thing is where I think self-management has a really strong part to play in exercising that. Because it then says, I've got agency, I can make choices, I can even float conceptual ideas type thing. And people will say, hmm, interesting, let's give it a go. I know that I can potentially step in and own that to the point that I can prove it. And that makes a huge difference in people's loyalty and, and feeling of commitment that the organisation entrusts them with a concept like that. Because th this whole sense of how do we improve and how do we innovate is often like you've said before. There are people spotting things like this all the time. And if there's no channel of that into the machinery, the machinery will never adjust itself people will adjust that system so so the system of self-management that prevails is is something that's strong but needs attention and stimulation from people uh, because either it'll it'll create laissez-faire you know um, indulgences or it will create that togetherness and that real anti-fragile thing you talked about earlier on because agency has to come with responsibility, a bit like the Spider-Man quote, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is a bit like that. So I really do say to people, if they're inquiring about self-management, it's like you do know that actually this is A, quite hard, but it's it's pe people have to step into a level of responsibility and accountability that they may not wish for once they know what it means, because it does stop with them. So the audience, the one thing is also, it stops with me. That's the trade with this, I think. I, I, if you yeah. don't know that, you will struggle. It must also link to your point about people feeling more fulfilled and positive to the sort of uh, Dan Pink drive piece. Totally that. Right? Totally uh, that. Autonomy, 
mastery and purpose, purpose, right? I mean, that all all links up to me. And I think underneath all of that, as as there always is with the with the people engaged thing, this underlying platform of trust. But perhaps in self managed teams, yeah, more of a focus on trust in your colleague rather than the leadership and organisations past yeah, performance, is. right? It yeah. is. It absolutely is. You you have to trust your colleagues to have your back. You have to trust your colleagues to do their share. You have to trust your colleagues to let you in on the conversations you should be in and be inclusive and so on. But you do also have to trust your leaders that that vision, perhaps, that they've set that you're signed up to is absolutely the vision. Now, uh, what I find really interesting, again, in some of the examples I've looked at, uh, so let, let's take Joster Block at Bietzorg, the very famous Netherlands nursing organization, 100% self-managed, scaled, highest level of health patient satisfaction in the world. Jos will admit he doesn't always get that bit right when they were trying to resolve overtime so that he could have a delegated budgetary responsibility in those teams. He thought it'd be really good if he said, I'll give you some parameters to help make that easy for you. And actually, the Bertzorg nurses came back and went, Yes, we don't need you. <laughs> we honestly don't need you. We put They pushed back on it. So that was a sort of, if you want, a vision where he thought I can be helpful. But they, they actually said, we can work this out. So um, it's really interesting when the maturity of the organisation is that strong. The leader says, OK, uh, you don't need me for that. So what do you need me for? And they would say stuff like, if get more of this out there we want you to be doing that and for some ceos that's like a gift of a job right yeah yeah <laughs> so so he got given that i think really by his uh, by his own people and dan price at gravity payments he cut his own salary by thousands and thousands of dollars and at the end of the tenure for people having seventy thousand dollars across the board his team chipped in and bought him a tesla to show they appreciated that <laughs> This is it. Nice. Thanks very much. (laughs) Exactly. You you create the harmony and the the music happens. Uh, Really, really does. Um, So there's been some research recently by um, a couple of people who featured in Harvard uh, Business Review from Yale and University of Michigan, purpose and, and business performance and retention and everything else inextricably linked absolutely causal and the cbi this week issued a report pretty much saying if you want to be successful you have to get this purpose right because if you don't you won't simple as that cbi said that i mean i i read that and i was like jumping up and down uh in my little in the little corner of my living room going yay finally we maybe we'll get some real movement on this now exactly And and maybe it won't be in the in the rubbish sector of we're going to change the world with every biscuit we sell and it's going to it's going to be rooted in what employees actually see themselves doing right on on a daily basis what do we stand for? Who do we stand with as well? That's also very important. You know, allyship and social economic issues and so on. That's getting more important now. You can see how some of that manifested itself last year with companies who were a little bit fake or neglectful of standing in Black Lives Matter or Me Too type things. Um, uh, so so all of that is coming through as well. And, and it is, you know, I was really disappointed with the base camp stuff when that all came out about rejecting all sorts of things that happen there. People just left in droves, didn't they? Well, I think that's happening in in a load of places. But maybe back to what, what you talked about earlier in, in the, this rejection of being told mm. what mm. to do. Or yeah. I mean, people can see through virtual sig- virtue signaling and, and it's totally not can. genuine or authentic, 
right? Yeah. Uh, we, totally and, and this is where I think purpose gets into trouble because mm. people want to be seen as being socially, environmentally yeah. good citizen, but they just go off on a massive tangent that right. has no bearing right. in, in what they're really doing. And Absolutely that. It's a waste of, well, it's a waste of people's time and, and, and energy because they just get confused, disappointed, and then move on. Uh, absolutely that so uh, it's almost like if you fake it and get caught that's worse than never trying it at all so it's almost like you can semi forgive those people who don't stand in that space at all and just kind of go well i I extract from the earth i don't know what else to do versus those people who say no no no, we're not like that oh yeah you are you fly around the world and you do all this (laughs) stupid stuff so yeah it is it's genuinely the, uh, the fakers don't take as long to get caught now either there's a lot more scrutiny and a lot more lenses on it a lot more willing participants will stand up and object to it and say why and have evidence for it so um megan writes out of ashridge management schools written some terrific stuff on employee activism right and to me it's where perhaps the trade unions should have stood in the space of uh, because they're missing a trick i think on this influence purpose shape how you behave get the virtues right uh, and so on and so forth so you know if you're a unionist listening to this that's where you need to be go where people are at and that's where they're at yes they like the fact you negotiate pay and keep them in fair working conditions but that's a bottom rung there's a higher level of stuff you can play in that adds real value and they should be in that space a hundred percent before we get into summaries and what have you yeah. If we think about all the th- all the great things we've talked about, liberating things that we've talked about, mm. what what do you see as the primary benefits of creating stronger, more flexible, this self managed teams as as mm. we as we move forward, Perry? Mm. So I will start this answer by saying I am perhaps overly uh, eulogising this, and some people again. <laughs> Hang on a minute, that ain't going to work in my place. Do you know what I mean? And and you might rightly think that, but actually the mood is shifting. So be alert because it'll only take a player in your market space to offer this stuff. And all of a sudden people will move, business will move, and the other place will die. So I think there is a transience to that. And there is a transference, I think, of, of, of more virtuous companies who stand in the right spaces and what have you. So, yeah, if it doesn't feel like it will now, hold your, ne- your nerve because it will start to come. Um, but going back to your question, then, I think if I use that collective intelligence phrase as just one lens to look at now, we are literally drowning in data, but devoid of insight. Saw that oh. quote today right that's not mine i saw it today however the essence of where you can get the insight is often where people are enabling you to zoom in on that really super quickly because they hear customers they see markets they know how colleagues feel so self-managed organizations absolutely cannot exist without collective intelligence because there is no one focal point where it all comes and trickles down it's literally like a village life where everybody's looking out for every sign of danger opportunity support care whatever So I think it's that. It's all eyes on the prize type thing. Um, But then the other thing I think it generates is this strong togetherness feel that we've been trying to engage people in and use engagement as a lens to look in and, and perhaps perk it and stimulate it and prod it. But 
actually it happens when people feel it and it exudes and it becomes a force field of its own you only really get that when you liberate people in order for them to create it so i think you know those two things are so important intelligence and togetherness and if you want to get the best out of those my suggestion is the self-managed system creates it and you need to then get the system that channels it and really gets it in shape that helps you and, and the business and the colleagues that you've got. And I'll use an example here of an organization in the States that have got it in droves. Um, Barry Waymiller, I talk about him a lot, but in the financial crash of 2008, the CEO there, Bob Chapman, was getting prepared to do the layoff type calculations and he stopped himself and he brought his board back and he went, oh, I don't want to do this because these people are family to me, even though there's thousands of them. He said, why don't we just ask them what we can do to tighten up and survive? The response was phenomenal. There were people who forgave all their pension contributions for whatever long, it, however long it took, people who stepped down in hours to share it amongst colleagues, people who left and said, I'll go because somebody else can then do my job all sorts of things happen they save something like 20 million dollars by that self-crafted self-managed crowdsourced exercise they're not really self-managed in the true sense of the word but that recovery was they then posted their best year ever two years later amazing there's the result what a story Mm. what a story uh i'm sitting here thinking was there ever a man with a more apt title with chief energy officer because i'm sitting here buzzing absolutely buzzing uh but i but i have to kind of bring this to some sort of summary perry even though i would just love to continue talking about this forever so i have this thing on my show called sticky notes right which is my Mm. my daft attempt to summarize the amazing stuff that you've talked about today on three mm. post-it notes, right? So mm. if, if, if you're post-its. trying to give some worldly wisdom to people thinking about this stuff and what they got to do to make this stuff happen, yeah, what would your three sticky notes say, my friend? Okay. So my first sticky note is, it is all about teams. So disaggregate decisions, start to create the essence of change at team level. Give teams the responsibility and the support to make changes that work for them in conjunction with their fellow teams. But we've got to stop this top-down trickery thing. That is not how this works. It's teams out. So I think that's my um, first post-it note. Nice. Uh, my, yeah, my, my second post-it note uh, would be more on the sort of, I suppose, attitudes and so on that, that leaders exude. You don't have to be a warrior. You don't have to be the hero. You don't have to be the know-it-all. In this research I did recently, there was a lovely phrase. It said, move from know-it-all to learn it all. <laughs> Good. I love it. Yeah. So as a leader, just say, say to your people, just help me learn and I'll make the decisions and set the vision, but I need you to help me learn. And I can't think of any better invite that's great. from a leader. Yeah. So that's my second post-it note. And then I think my third post-it note is that you've got to do something and the something can be seemingly really small, but it's normally symbolic. There's a, a change theory by um, Chip and Dan Heath, who wrote a couple of books on change, and they have what they call the attic test. If you want to empty your attic of crap, set yourself a timer for 15 minutes a day to empty your attic at 15 minute sprints. And what Chip and Dan Heath said, two things happen there. Either you do that and you really break the back of it in 15 minute sprints, or you're up there for 15 minutes think. I might as well do a couple of hours <laughs> and make it happen, right? So so never talk yourself out of doing something because that chain reaction will create the sort of seismic shift you want in the end. But never stare at a problem that's big. 
break it down, do something. That's my third post-it note. Brilliant. I'm sitting here with such a full head, Perry, after that. Uh, absolutely brilliant. I knew you would cause my brain problems, and <laughs> I've loved every second of it, my friend. Uh, thank you. I, you're an incredibly busy guy, so I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Um, loved it. Just brilliant. Well, look, thanks, Perry. I, I hope I get to see you again uh, very, very soon and, and get the chance to continue this chat. It's on. Yeah, let's do it, mate. Thanks very much. Cheers, buddy. Well, look, that was Perry Timms. If you'd like to find out a bit more about Perry and people and Transformational HR, then please check out our show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it found it interesting and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier more successful business from the inside going forward if you have please like comment and subscribe it really helps i'm andy gorham and you've been listening to the sticky from the inside podcast until next time thanks for listening